0: deserve that there are some people that uh, we would like to thank who uh, helped to make SACPOP function. Um, we want to thank uh, Shaw TV, we'd like to thank the HELL, we'd like to thank um, CKXUFM because they are willing to uh, uh, broadcast this particular uh, um, program. And we want to also thank the Great Play Catering for providing the meal for the day and also want to thank the university of Lethbridge that is responsible for circulating uh, the programs of those who go on there anyways. So it's useful want to have them. Now we come to the question and answer period, and if you want to ask your question, please use uh, the microphone that is over here, uh, just underneath the clock. And uh, it's fine if you want to have a brief preamble to your question, but uh, you really we really want to hear your question. So if you have to have a preamble, please make it uh, rather uh, on the on the brief side. Now next week um, our program is entitled What are the pressing social issues in left age, and what strategies are needed? The speakers are Alana Turner, Kimberly Lyle, and Michael Bow. So that's the subject for the next week, and we. We'll be able to back here at that time. I'd like to invite our guest speaker to come back now, Larry Elford, whose topic is money, power, and poverty what harms are done by those at the top of society versus those at the bottom. So, Larry, if you would like
1: to come back. With you. I know he's being interviewed be over here, but here he comes. Larry, we want to be back. Please welcome. My name is Peter Beal, and I'd like you to sort of comment on my latest conspiracy theories. Uh, The government stops taking Canada savings bonds, so people can invest. Everything comes from the bank. They said, we're going to increase the productivity of the the government, increase prosperity. The first thing they do is they spend $18.5 billion more than they've got. Then they say the economy is improving. They raise interest rates. The Bank of Canada raises interest rates, which means we owe continuously more to the banks. I mean, is there nothing we can do to defend ourselves against that? Thanks, Peter. I I recognize what
2: you're saying, and I, I agree. The Bank of Canada used to finance projects 50 years ago, like the universities. Um, like the Trans-Canada Highway, like the St. Lawrence Seaway, we used to be able to take uh, money from the Bank issued by the Government of Canada, Bank of Canada money, to do infrastructure projects, and sometime in the last 50 years that ability has been taken away from us, so that now when the Government of Canada needs to do something large, they have to borrow from commercial banks and we have to pay an awful lot of interest. So we've lost things like Canada Savings Bonds. It's now you go and give your money to a bank. We used to be able to fund some of our own things and get decent investments and investment returns as a result. So I think we've lost a great deal. We've lost two things in that. Thank you.
3: This will be good enough, okay? Yeah. Uh, Hanning Wendell. Hi, Larry. First of all, just a, uh, a quick note. You confused me. Maybe, maybe Adrian Clarkson was in the news too much lately. I thought Dodge was the governor of the Bank of Canada, not the governor general. <laughs> uh, but my question concerns, you made the comment, you made it in your previous presentation too, that probably in Lethbridge, we don't have any, or that probably hardly any adv- financial advisors, so, those of us that are not, don't feel that we can adequately look after that ourselves, who do we turn to, for to, to our investments?
2: Good question. Um, I host a conversation group once a month with people called Money Talks, and in it, it's a group of people that sit around the boardroom table and ask that question, how do we manage our own money, how do we become financially literate? Um, I know of a a lady that used to come to SACPA here, who's one of the smartest investors I've ever met. She has an investment portfolio that would make Warren Buffett envious. The quality, I'm not saying the size, the quality of her investments. She simply has learned and taught herself not to give her trust away to other people. She's learned to keep hold of her financial literacy and learn what to do, step by step. And there are very many avenues other than the... It's complicated, I'm going to phone an advisor. And when you phone an advisor in this town and in most other towns in Canada, you're actually talking to a a licensed salesperson on a commission selling investment products. And you don't want to be buying investment products any more than you want to be buying processed food. You want to be buying real investments and there is a difference. So it's all those financial literacy things that people don't understand. The industry makes it complicated, it's intended to be complicated, so you throw off your hands and say, I've got to trust that guy. And that's not helping Canada at this moment. That's actually farming.
3: But we're too many in Lesbridge for, to, to consult you.
2: No, I don't think I could consult with everybody that needs to, but I can help people to learn to be financially literate and know where the good and the bad and the licensed and the unlicensed are. And that's just a starting process. It takes a while to become financially literate. Thank you. Thanks, Annie.
1: Douglas Mitchell, Uh, as the prophet of gloom and doom, it's nice to hear the whole thing put into perspective. Uh, I am as concerned as as Henning with uh, my own little pile of money, such as I have, Uh, but I don't want to, I'd like to ask you a question rather about the fact that we get hung up when we read the, the Lethbridge Herald on what's going on on the crime scene, and now we've got uh, cannabis on top of that, and a lot of people made money on that, as you well know, uh, and I am concerned that our whole... Uh, and I just want to ask you a question of how you feel. Uh, where should we solve... What, what problems should we attack? I mean, uh, we ordinary people, uh, who can we go to to, to try to change things because I know well that the banks run a lot of stuff and make lots of money. but we still have real but terrible social problems which are getting worse if anything, and with Trump out of the border, it will continue to get. So I just like your thoughts on how you how you balance uh, y- your approach to dealing with these problems. I find that public awareness
2: is the only thing, the court of public opinion is the only court that I would rely on and it requires having a billion eyeballs out there all collaborating and watching and, and being able to have open discourse. Anything that's done within the financial industry, within regulatory systems, within even ombudsman systems, they're all done under clo- cloaks of confidentiality and secrecy in a lot of cases. A lot of cases, not all cases. So they are places where justice goes to be prevented in some cases. I was at a Southern Alberta Council meeting in the last decade, I can't remember having lunch with a lawyer and a lady in between us listening to us go back and forth. I was friends with the lawyer. And this lady looked at us both and said, You do realize, of course, that the justice the justice system can just as easily be used to prevent justice. And our mouths dropped open. The lawyer and I looked at each other and wondered where this person came from and how she had such insight and experience. So I am I have a lot more faith in and the justice system that's good, but at the $100 million dollar up level, up in un- what I call uncontrolled airspace, anything goes. Something... Things are handled in the hallways, in some cases, um, or at least they seem to, they appear to be. So I have a lot of faith in public awareness and uh, getting public eyeballs. I look at the Me Too movement last year. I think it was where in 30 days a number of women stepped enough women stepped forth to talk about types of abuse that it almost it almost changed the course of history on a hundred years of of that type of abuse in the uh, Hollywood industry. So when Finance has its Me Too movement, as it is in Australia at this moment. And it's, I'm talking to people in Holland, in the UK, in Spain, in the United States. Every developed country has the same problem of financial institutions having a complete, um, complete grasp on our political systems, our some of our, our most important systems. And I think that's going to change. might not change in nice ways, but it's going to change unsustainable. Thank you, Douglas.
4: Uh, it, Maureen Hawkins um, since a lot of the problem evidently lies with governments that are enablers at probably all levels what can we do politically if anything
2: great question I think that, I think the political opportunity for a party or a person to become, to take on this subject and actually uh-huh. I think it's a great opportunity for the party to grasp it and realize that the public, the appetite for these kinds of things is, uh, is becoming less and less, and they're, they're looking for an answer and looking for a solution. So I think that's a great political opportunity for the person or the party that gets it, and is willing to break a little bit with the powers that be, or the establishment, or the old boys clubs, or networks, or whatever came before us, if they're willing to step out just a little bit and change the course of history, I think they'll find uh, rewards to that. That's my answer to that question, Marie. Thank
5: you. Mark Gettles, my name. I'm just wondering the difference between credit unions and the big banks. Are the credit unions the uh, lesser of two evils, in your mind, in your I think view? much
2: lesser. I think they're, um, they're lesser developed, so they don't have quite the broad range of services and products. They, they don't have... Um, maybe the same experiences, but the banks have become, uh, I'm going to say, predatory in Canada, and the credit unions are not uh, faced with that label. They're community owned, they have boards of directors that are locally, uh, you know, locally governed. And so I think, I feel safer, I feel more comfortable not having the, uh, the quite the, the sharp suit uh, as of the banking industry because the banks as CBC go public has shown the banks are under intense pressure every person here that has a fake financial advisor as counterfeiters whatever word you like is under pressure to produce at least two to four thousand dollars in commissions every day from you and if they're talking to you on the phone they're on a they're under the gun and I worked in the industry for 20 years so I can very well relate they're under the gun every day to to um, Produce, or or you're out. So it's a very, very cutthroat business and and those things are all done in the background and they're not shown to you and the licenses aren't shown and et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on. So yeah, credit unions get my seal of approval. Thank you. I'm Charlene Thielen and mine's kind of a two-part question. Um, What Actually, I mean, I've known you for a long time, and what was actually the breaking point for you to say, like, I am out of this rat race, I can't morally do this anymore? And also, if you can kind of fill us in on any ramifications or things that you've had to deal with since, like, you know, all the people that, you know, the hatred, and, you know, just the people trying to basically say what isn't right. Thank you. I think the triggering time was the time I, I used to write articles that the Lethbridge Herald was kind enough to publish once in a while. You know, I look at me, I'm a financial guy and I'm, I'm writing an advice article in the Lethbridge Herald and I wrote one article that said that you do not have to pay mutual fund charges. I think it was in 2001. But there's a number of ways you can buy a mutual fund and it's entirely dependent on what your salesman sells you and tells you that you're going you to buy. He doesn't say you've got six choices and one of them pays him $5,000 and the other one pays him nothing. The commission salesperson is going to hide that from you and not disclose it. I thought my clients, some people who were in this room, were my clients. I thought they deserved the very best and I thought I was an advisor because that's what my bank told me I was. Uh, silly me. Uh, turns out poverty reduces your uh, IT level by 14 basis points and for me that's like about a third. So where was I? Um, I was trying to tell the public how the very best way to invest and how they could do it without any cost or fees. My brother even asked me one day, Larry, how are you making anything on this if you don't charge fees on mutual funds? I remember Norman asking me that. And I had to say there's there's the way to put the client first, and then there's the other way. There's the, the get rich slow plan and building relationships and helping people and a get rich quick plan. And everybody else in my industry wanted my office wanted to be on the get rich quick plan. So we came to Loggerheads, and one of them doesn't work there anymore, and it's me. I retired and left that business, and and my ramifications are too numerous to give you here, but I did write a book. It's called About Your Financial Murder, and you can ask me about that afterwards if you'd like the the entire painful journey and the story, but it's too much to tell you at this point in time. Thank you for your question.
5: Yes, sir.
1: Mike McCaig. Uh, I'd just like you to comment a little bit. We're hearing quite a bit of uh, political talk about
0: getting (coughs) big money and corporation money out of politics. Uh, Do you think that might be a help?
2: That would be a a wonderful help and a blessing. I'm not sure that that what we're hearing is not just talk. Uh, I'm getting rather jaded, I have to say, in my, my ears that what is told in the what is shown to the public, and what actually happens, are two different things. And those, the game now is not necessarily to read your newspaper and, and know what's going on, although that helps, and the Lethbridge is one of the best in Canada at publishing things, I've found. But millions of people are reading a financial newspaper, or watching a financial television show, and they're, they're getting almost propaganda now, they're getting corporate advertising dressed up as editorials, and business conversations. So what you're being told is very often something you're being sold. It's, it may not be news, it may be distraction, it may be something to just say, you're comfortable, don't worry, trust us, we've got this under control. And, and I think they're often doing just exactly the opposite of what they say in the media. Hope that helps you a little bit.
1: Hello, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Larry, it, it can be said that uh, money doesn't buy happiness, but likewise, it can be said that not enough money buys a lot of unhappiness. Um, I've s- traveled many places in the world where there's been extreme uh, poverty, and I find that you know the broken bottles on the fence keeps the poor people out. Do you see that uh, sort of thing happening in North America anytime soon?
2: I'm not sure. I saw a a billionaire speaking on a TED Talk. The pitchforks are coming for us, is what this billionaire said. If we don't address the inequality and and the unfairness in society, we are going to cause whatever calamity befalls us, the broken glass, the the burning tires. Um, And it is... It is somewhat true, money doesn't buy happiness, but unfairness causes revolution, inequality causes revolution. And I don't think we can operate a society really well, I'm a system mechanic is what I look at, I don't think we can run a society with all of the benefits or 90 or 80 or whatever the numbers are benefits going to this, this many people, who can buy the law, they can buy the political system, they can buy pieces, select pieces of the judicial system, who can buy the regulatory system and expect everybody else to just be okay with that and believe what they're told. That's not going to last. We're already seeing it. We're already seeing the, uh, the the poverty, the inequality, the unfairness in society. So it's, uh, it's inevitable. I don't know if I answered that or not, but thank you for the question. Hi, my name's Laurie Schultz and thank you very much for your very informative uh, talk. Larry, can you just Expand a little bit on what you would see as a, a, a proper and an accountable licensing of financial investors. Thank you. Thank you. Beautiful question. The uh, the quote that I received the other day is is that the uh, presenting professional advice or the aura of professional advice. Um, Without well well delivering biased and conflicted advice is fraud, and, and that's the that's the model we have now. It's a bait and switch where we say, "Trust me, I'm an advisor, and I'm going to look after your money." And the insurance company in town, or the mutual fund company, or the bank, then delivers you a commission salesperson. I deal with people I'm dealing with people right now. We're writing letters to the ombudsman, the banking ombudsman, to say, "I placed my family's future and I've lost 10 years of my life with an insurance company." and I find out that I, th- I thought that person was sitting on my side of the table and helping me and advising me in my best interest it turns out that that is not only not the case but it turns out that that financial advisor has never ever held an advisor license and despite that being fraud as I mentioned in my presentation in any other venue it doesn't apply to banks. we police ourselves too bad, so sad take us to court, sue us You'll be there 10 years, and our lawyers will be here. So it's just, um, there's it's not really a solution, and it's not a very good system, and it has to change, and I
4: hope it does change by public awareness. Bev mundell thank you, Larry. You, we should have given you a standing ovation. That was fabulous. Okay, I have two questions. One is, in 2008, when all the money disappeared, where did it go? That's number one. <laughs> Number two is you were talking about if <clears throat> if the bank defrauded one person they could go after the bank but if it became systemic um, they couldn't go after the bank. So would the fees that are being charged on our debit cards and our Visa cards and things like that when um, when we use them would would that be an example of some of the the systemic? Um, ripping off systemic fraud? If not, can you give me one? So those are my two questions.
2: Uh, It's not so much fees on um, bank products, the mortgage cards, that kind of thing. It's the systemic things like Wells Fargo issuing, uh, making up accounts for fake people so they can earn their bonuses. Um, Putting charges on clients' accounts that for products and services they had no idea, selling travel insurance and then denying, doing all those kinds of things. Okay. Those are systemic issues which is just, we can, we can sort of pickpocket every person in this room just a little bit or two at each table, just a tiny little bit and get away with it and not get caught. They may never spot it. So those types of things systemically multiplied by 34 million Canadians and 300 million Americans adds up to billions and billions and billions of dollars and those things are things that we police ourselves, and we get away with it as a result. Okay.
4: And 2008, where did that money go?
2: That money went to the, uh, the upper arm here, 2008 That's money. Yep, sorry. So the money that was taken in 2008, it wasn't a crash, it wasn't a collapse, it was a systemically designed selling crappy products that didn't meet our laws, and going to the securities regulators and getting exemption to the laws, so that we could take those crappy products, out of National Bank was one of the biggest in Canada holders of those and dumped them on the city of Vancouver as a client, dumped them in portfolios, dumped them on a pig farmer in Land, Alberta, who's never recovered, by the way, the physical, financial, mental disturbances, the addiction caused, the suicides, the money's in the hands of the people who needed suckers to dump their bad products on them.
4: And so did the banks get that then, the ones that sold those bad products?
2: Collapse in the subprime mortgages, all the buildup of crappy debt on houses in everywhere from across the U.S., um, those were going bad, and people saw they were going bad. So in a, in, a, in a game of hot potato, the financial industry said, we've got to dump this stuff. Where's the best place to dump it? The least informed people in the world, retail investors. Let's sell them something good today. they dump dumped them. Thank you.
5: Terry Shillington. Larry, thank you for an excellent presentation. Um, uh, this question is kind of wondering out loud, but I wonder if part of the problem is that uh, generally in our culture, we think of the financial advisor and the banker as our friend in the way that we see the teacher as our friend and often the family doctor as our friend. Um, but we understand when we go to buy a car, for example, that they're essentially predators. They want to sell us options that we don't need and and they'd like to upsell us to a uh, uh, more expensive vehicle and so on, and we know when we go to buy many things that they're trying to upsell us, but we don't seem to understand that about our financial advisors, that they don't have our interest in mind. They're making a profit, and they want to sell us stuff. I wonder if, if to go back to my original question, if, if we're under the impression that our financial advisor and our banker is our friend when truly they aren't. There's
2: the answer right there. Thank you, Terry, for hitting the... The nail on the head. The financial industry has done the perfect bait and switch over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, it goes back before my time in the 80s. They have provided um, name changes, slight name changes and license changes from salesperson. I was licensed as a salesperson. Um, that, that license did not change until 2009 when the industry decided, when banks took over, and they realized that we could have not just... Does it start? Standpoint, and still say that it's suing, and that's what they can sell. So having a non-fiduciary investment advisor today, bank, insurance company, mutual fund dealer, is like having an automobile, which every time you take it into the service department, the mechanic siphons out half your gas. That's what it's like. You actually have someone who's acting as a counterparty to your interest, and can dip into your account in a myriad of ways, fees, commissions, deferred sales charge, hidden sales charge, Proprietary products, everything that's endless, and they can take advantage of your interest. The fiduciary cannot legally do that. Brilliant question. I think. Thank you. I hope I, I did justice to it. This will be our last question. Okay. Thank you, Mary Shillington.
4: Thank you, Larry, for your presentation. I was sometimes running a couple of steps behind you, uh, so I suppose it would be good to read your book. Uh, but I think you have given us. Um, an idea about what we could do. For instance, you said that the credit unions are not like the banks. What would happen if everybody today went and transferred all their accounts to the credit union? That would have quite an impact, those people here.
2: Uh, What would happen would be that would be a, a, a beautiful move of public awareness, citizen voting with their money instead of instead of believing what they're told with the advertising, actually taking a step to move away from, uh, I'm just going to call it more predatory style, mm-hmm. a little bit more likely to be abusive, to something that's a little bit more local and a little bit more locally managed and a little bit friendlier and safer, in my view. Mm-hmm. It would be a beautiful thing.
4: I would encourage that. We are, we've been credit union people for all our married lives, and it's worked for us.
2: Yeah.
0: Hello, uh, Larry. Uh, just before uh, you shut down, we understand that you give a monthly talk, money talk
2: sessions. Yes. can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, I just hold a really informal boardroom session with people, and we chat about everything from uh, economic affairs to what's going on in other countries, interest rates. And we just boil it down to the dumbest level we possibly can because there is nothing that's investment related that needs to be or should be made complicated. Investments have to be explainable to a six-year-old child with a crayon in about 30 seconds. And if it's, if it's not, if we're not able to do it in that manner, then we're, we're, we're lying to ourselves. We're acting in a sales capacity. We're making it complicated. Uh, Money Talks is designed to make it simple, to find out what people know, what they understand, and to make everybody's financial awareness go up a notch.
0: Now, if you would like to know more about this, you're invited to go up and ask Larry about it sure. uh, before you. In the meantime, will you please thank him for his address today?